Our reading today is from Luke chapter 2, familiar story of the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, it's on page 1027 in the church Bibles, and I'll start at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the, in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. So the story of the birth of Jesus and the visit of the shepherds, again, very familiar words for us. And here we have half of every nativity scene you've ever seen. Half because the shepherds are here in Luke's gospel and the wise men are from Matthew. And they came at different times and they wouldn't have been there altogether. So sometimes the picture we have of that first Christmas comes more from Christmas cards and tradition than it does from the Bible story. Let's see if we can dig down into what Luke is actually saying to us. And the first thing is that we're already in chapter 2, before Jesus is born. Last week we saw the first part of chapter 1, how God came to Mary to tell her that she had been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And then it also goes on to tell us about the birth of another character in the story, that of John the Baptist. And the way that story is told is full of wonder. There's a miracle when his father Zechariah is healed and gets his speech back. There's a long song of praise and a prophecy about what this child John will achieve. And then suddenly we're into chapter 2 
and the birth of Jesus. And it's as if the whole tone of the story changes. Because it's told in a very matter-of-fact manner. Here are some historical references to when it happened. Here's why they were in Bethlehem. And as to the events of that night, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. It's almost as if he was trying to make it sound ordinary. There's no choir of angels in the stable. There were no miracles, no prophecies, no songs of praise. Just a baby born to a poor, unimportant couple in a stable because that's the only place they could find. Of course there is more here, but you have to dig for it a bit. The first is that they were in Bethlehem a place with very great significance to who Jesus would be. Because Bethlehem was David's town, King David, the greatest of Israel's kings, a man after God's own heart. And the king to whom God made the promise that one of his descendants would be blessed with an eternal kingdom. So the promised and expected Messiah, the coming king, would be in David's line. And here they were. Joseph, a descendant of David. And Jesus, born in David's town, in Bethlehem. And in the Gospels later, he was sometimes called son of David. And then we have the inn. Or rather the fact there was no room for them in the inn. Actually, that word inn that we have in verse 7... It could be translated in, a place you pay to stay in, but it could also just as easily mean your usual living accommodation. Because think about it. Joseph was from the house and line of David. He had family connections there, relations living there. And Middle Eastern rules of hospitality meant that such relations even poor and unimportant ones, had to be accommodated, if at all possible, when they turned up. So the scholars tell us that this was probably the house of some distant relation, rather than our picture of a hotel or a and b But of course, there were some difficulties involved. Bethlehem was packed with people come to register for the census. And probably most of them were more important relations than Joseph and Mary. And then there was the whole question of the fact they weren't married yet, even though she was obviously very pregnant. So maybe it's best all round if we don't actually have them in the main house. Um, perhaps downstairs where we keep the animals sometimes. That'll be um, private for when the baby comes. So I'm afraid our Christmas card nativity scene is getting cut back a bit. Because probably there wouldn't have been actual animals there at the time. You know, they wouldn't treat their relations that badly. Just a convenient feeding trough, a manger, and a good place to lay the baby Jesus. And as we read Luke's account, that feeding trough, that manger 
does seem to be very important to him because he mentions it three separate times. And we'll come back to that later. But otherwise, we're left with a picture of a quiet, unimportant, poor couple having a baby in an out-of-sight room in the home of some distant relations and settling down for sleep after what must have been a very hard night. And then the scene shifts. And suddenly we're away, out of Bethlehem, with shepherds in the fields. And the one question that kept coming to me as I looked at this passage was, why the shepherds? Because finally, an angel is making an appearance at the actual birth of Jesus. But it's not in Bethlehem. It's out here, in the fields. Why there? And why to these people? You can understand why the angel might have avoided the likes of King Herod or the great and good of Jerusalem. But this was happening in Bethlehem, David's town. And the place was packed with David's descendants. If you wanted to make an announcement that this family has a new member, that he's the one God promised, then surely David's town was the place to do it. And David's people were the ones to tell. But no, this is the angel's one and only appearance at the birth of Jesus. And he doesn't even make it to the stable. They're out here in the country with just one bunch of shepherds. People who were about as unimportant as you could get. And not just one angel, but a whole choir of them. A great company of the heavenly hosts singing and praising God. And the only people who get to see this display were just those shepherds. In one sense, it seems so wasteful. Why the shepherds? So maybe we need to look at what the angel actually said to them. What was his message? And it was this. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Did you spot it? It's that manger again. The second time Luke mentions it. And this time, it's a sign. You go look for him. And of all the babies in Bethlehem, he'll be the one lying in a feeding trough, in a manger. It's the sign that he's the one we are telling you about. And so off to Bethlehem they go. And they search and they find the one baby lying in a manger. The third time Luke mentions it. And so what was once just Mary and Joseph's secret, the promise given to them before Jesus was born, is now confirmed for them, unprompted, by outside witnesses. Because the shepherds tell their story to anyone who will listen. This is the one. But the one what? Let's look at the titles he's given. Saviour, Christ, and Lord. First, Saviour, the one who would rescue his people. Perhaps the thing we know best about Jesus, 
that he would come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, our rescuer, our redeemer. Then Christ. Do you remember from when we were looking at Mark? That's the way Messiah is translated into Greek. The promised king, the descendant of David. And then Lord. Do you remember from Exodus quite recently, the burning bush? The holy name of God that was translated into Lord. The one who is, the one who will rule. And these are very high titles. And what would have been obvious to anyone at the time, there were others around who claimed those same titles. Because think of King Herod. He wasn't actually Jewish himself, but he did consider himself king of the Jews. A favor given to him by his friend Caesar. And then Caesar himself, Caesar Augustus, the first Caesar, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, now ruler of the Roman Empire, having crushed all his enemies. You see, those same titles were applied to him too. He was often called saviour because he had brought peace to the empire after civil war. He was called son of a god because he had declared his adopted father Julius to be a god. And he was most definitely king and lord and with several armies to back him up if you disagreed. So the very act of giving these titles to this baby is to set God's kingdom in conflict with the kingdoms of this world. Because in the end, there can only be one Lord. But what do we see? A baby, weak, defenseless, born to an unimportant poor couple from the back of nowhere, living off their relations charity. One who would never command an army who would be betrayed by a friend's kiss, and who would die a death reserved for the worst criminals. What kind of threat could this baby be to the great powers of the world? Yet this baby had a kingdom. And in just 300 years, another Caesar would bow his knee to this child and say, Jesus is Lord. Yes, this baby has a kingdom, but it's a kingdom whose guest list turns things upside down. L later in Luke, chapter 12 and verse 12, Jesus himself says this, when you give a lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your relatives or your rich relations or your neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll, you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And later in verse 21, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Remember last week how we saw the Magnificat, God turning upside down the world's values. Well, here it is again. The guest list of the new kingdom. 
A kingdom and a king seemingly weak and vulnerable, but one who will triumph in the end. So, why the shepherds? Because this kingdom is for the likes of them. This is not wasted effort. This is a celebration of the new king who has power to conquer the world. Not by violence and fear, but through service and sacrifice. And it is this king, Jesus, to whom in the end every knee must bow, even Caesar himself. Amen.